Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. I adore you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Sing it again. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Don't you appreciate what he's done for you? Heavenly Father, All the benefits of his hand. Hallelujah. Life, strength, and peace. Comfort, love, salvation, justification, propitiation. If you hate them, all of those things. Heavenly Father, I love you for that. Hallelujah. Take some time out just to think back. You don't have to think back very long. Now you recognize he's been awfully good to you. Father, we just appreciate you. Now, must we know about you, Lord, we love you. Teach us a little more so we can love more. Hallelujah. Reach down and get your Bibles. Turn to the 21st chapter of St. Luke. Stand for the reading of God's Word. Well, I think of it Wednesday night. We're going to begin a study on uh, the ability to ascertain or to know when we're backsliding or growing cold or just when we're under attack by the enemy. There is a difference, and sometimes we don't separate it. It's going to be kind of an in-depth study. It's not deep things, but an in-depth study. And however long it lasts is going to depend on you and your spiritual appetite. Amen. So you can't feed people they don't want to eat. When you get to a place where you're not hungry, why, why waste time putting the food out there? Uh, just uh, let you go till you get hungry. Praise the Lord. Well, our appetite is going to be supplied one way through earthly things or spiritual things. All right? Now, I want to say before I go on, I need your prayers tonight. I'm not just like I ought to be. Of course, you might say you've never been like you ought to be. <laughs> but in case some of you don't know it, we had had quite a time. We had a good time in bird's eye. My, uh, my wife fell. That's not the good time. But my wife fell, and we had to battle that. And then the church was filled. It was crowded, and old people was there, and it was hot. And I preached hard anyway and long, and they just kept agging it on and wanted to hear. And so we preached hard three nights, perspired greatly. And uh, I didn't do what we usually do, which is try to take something salty or get something to drink. And we didn't do that. It was... A misnomer on our part. And Sunday night I felt just a little bit woozy. I felt a little weak. And I thought, well, that will pass. It didn't get any better until, when was it, Tuesday night? That I, hmm? Wednesday night after church that I got up to go to the bathroom and I couldn't stand up. I mean, my knees buckled and my head swam and I was, uh, uh, Placely enough, be scared a little bit, and I kept thinking, Lord, 
And the one thing I've always prayed, Lord, I don't want to be a vegetable. <laughs> I don't want to be where I have to be weeded on. And I thought, Lord, this is no good. And my wife helped me onto the bathroom, got me back in bed. And we prayed, and since then we've been praying and uh, drinking Gatorade and different things like that. And it's really, really helped. But we appreciate your prayers. We really do. You that prayed and the concern uh, on these things. And pray that we will learn a few things now on and do what we're supposed to do, all right? All right, we want to begin reading. You'll need to read the whole chapter. Now, there's no use me telling you that because some of you's not going to do it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When you get home, you need to read the whole chapter. But we want to pick up at verse 39. And he spake to them a parable, Behold, a fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. Now, a lot of people, of course, bring the fig tree into being with, with uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. We're not going to go into that. It's just simply some way of telling us to look for the seasons. And that's what it's saying. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, and these things you'll see and read if you read the first of the chapter, uh, when these things come to pass... Uh, know you that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. That's a generation that when these things are happening, uh, shall not pass, shall all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All right? You're going to understand that heaven is going to go, uh, undergo a change in earth too, but God's word is going to be the same. It always has and always will be. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with serpenting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye be, not, that ye be accounted worthy to escape all these things. That's the snares and so on. That's not tribulation. That's the snares of the enemy. All these things that shall come to pass understand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount, which is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Father, thank you for the preservation of your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to open it in this 20th century and extract from there the things that you have meant for us to see meant for us to read and to hear. Father, we pray that you would encourage and you would move upon lives and you would anoint the Word of God. Let it go forth in power and in anointing and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I'm not going to minister on the last verse, but I thought, how ironic, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple for their part to hear him. I thought, Jesus, I don't know what you had. But you must have had something that would whip the appetite of individuals where they'd come early in the morning to hear what he had to say. And now, he didn't always say pleasant things. In fact, he said some harsh things. He said some things that would challenge a, a carnal-minded individual. And yet they came out to hear him. I thought, what, what, what desire and all of that. I'm going to be dealing with some things, and I thought when, I, my, when God just simply wouldn't let me get away from that, 
I thought, God, I'm weary in my own heart of dealing with this because I've dealt with it before. And yet he just almost insisted. And I thought at the time when we first came to the Apostolic Church at Rosie Claire, and I must have ministered for two months on you old dry bones. Now, if any, of you, if any of you were there, you would know that God really knew what he was talking about. All right? So, evidently, it is a worthwhile thing, and God being generous and long-suffering and patient with us, more than I am, has decided one more time to speak to us concerning some things we've already heard, and then perhaps some things maybe that we haven't heard going to minister tonight on a snare that covers the whole earth. A snare, of course, is a trap, carefully set. No matter what kind it is, it's carefully set, and it's set in a place, and it's usually covered where you can't discover that will not know that it's there. You won't know that it's there. And uh, this is the reading of God's Word in take heed after you see all these things these things begin to happen we see so many of them today and take heed to yourself it would seem that the whole world is going to be affected even devout Christians doesn't leave anybody out it just says it's going to cover the whole world going to cover all of humanity going to be set for every one of us and uh, we need to understand the warning you need to understand what he says. Take heed, first of all, to yourself. In other words, look at your own life, how you're living your life. Make a self-examination on our lives over and over and over in the Scriptures, and we can't get them all. We won't have time. But we will cover some of them that are necessary. Over and over we get such warnings as that. You'll find in Romans 13.10, Let us walk honestly, as in the day... Not in rioting, or that's in reveling and going about doing your own thing, unmindful of God, or drunkenness. Not in chambering, that's illicit intercourse. And wantonness, that's shameless conduct. Not in envy and strife. And then he says, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh. Now if we left off there, it would seem to tell us that we wouldn't have to do anything. We'd just let... The Lord clothe us and put food on our table and all of that. But I want you to notice it didn't end there. Make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There are some things that are necessary in our uh, natural lives. We have to make provisions for them. There are a lot of things that we lust after, even as Christians. A lot of things that we don't need and yet our heart desires them and we lust after them. And it says, don't make provisions for these. You hearing me now? Give me a witness. Don't make provisions to fulfill the lust thereof because you're in danger. And especially as you see the day approaching. First Thessalonians 5, 6 says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There ever was a time in the history of the church that it's drowsy and asleep. As to the reality of where we're at and what we should be doing is now. And yet that warning comes from the Apostle Paul who's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he said, now don't you go to sleep like everybody else here. Right. You wake up and you watch and you be sober about these things. 
Don't take these things lightly. Understand where you're at. Understand what's happening in our world. Understand what's gripping the majority of individuals. Understand the undercurrent that comes into the house of God that beguiles unstable souls. Understand where you're living, saints. That's what Paul is telling the Thessalonican church. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. He couldn't have said it any better. I can't say it any better. The end of all things is at hand. Be as sober and watch unto prayer. In other words, there should be a little more time spent in watching, seeing how our lives are, not just looking around and uh, dictating somebody else's life or seeing how they live, but what he's talking about is watch the circumstances, watch the things that's going, that is happening in the political arena, watch the things that's happening in your town and in your schools, and more than anything else, watch what's happening in your life. See what is trying to seize upon your shortcomings. Understand you do have them. And see what is trying to seize upon them. And watch unto prayer. Without a prayer life, saints, we don't, we don't have a chance in the world. I mean, when we cease to pray, then we've gone under already. And he says, take heed to yourselves. In other words, take a good summation of your own life. See what's happening around you. See what is taking charge of your life. See who you love the most, yourself, the world, and God. See if He really is master of your life at all times. Take stock of your life. See where you're living. Paul, uh, uh, Luke says, writes, and writes to us, and writing to them, and says, look at yourself. See again where you're living, what's happening in your life. Take stock of where you are now and where you were. See if you have advanced or see if you're retarded. See if you're as far along in God. See if you're just as unmindful of worldly things as you was when you first started. Or check yourself and see if some of these carnal desires have not crept into your life unknown. The Bible says it comes in like a thief. Real slick and real cunning. The first thing you know, he's got you where he wants you and hardens your heart and dims your vision and clouds your mind until you see nothing. People need to understand that. Now why should you take heed to yourself? Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. And I want to deal with that word overcharged. Simply come from the word bearers, which means anything that makes undue influence or demands on one's resources. There's going to come a time spiritually and going to come a time mentally and materially when things are going to demand more than our resources, our, our abilities able to handle. And Paul or, or Luke was trying to point those things out. And he says, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, our demands are more than what we are able to do anything about with surfeiting, and drunkenness and cares of this life. Surfeiting is in excess indulgence. Indulging ourselves in things that we don't need. Spending time and effort and hours trying to make money to spend money. And then we, after we spend money, we work to make more money to spend more money. And we have nothing placed in reserve at any time. 
And this is exactly what he's talking about. And when you get to that place, it takes your mind off of your spiritual life. It overcharges you. It simply makes more demands out of you than you as an as, as a individual, as a natural human, is able to do. You cannot keep a hold of God and keep a hold of these things that come in your life. And yet the whole church world, for the most part, is striving to do their best to hold on to materialism and spirituality also, and it cannot be done. We are robbed of one thing. We'll either be robbed of materialism, or we'll be robbed of spirituality. And materialism, of course, has crept into the church. We spend more money on things that doesn't mean anything than we do giving it to God. Saints, you know, God, uh, somebody's going to get it. I mean, somebody's going to get it. The government's going to get it. Pleasure mad world is going to get it. Why not just give it to God? Where it'll do some good and lay up treasures up there for you when Jesus comes. Because you're not going to have anything. And when you lay down to rest, if you have saved any money, and you leave it to your kids, they're going to argue over it and uh, uh, maybe divide them as a family. Let them make their own living, all right? Is that too harsh? Let them manage on their own. As long as they've got you, mom and dad, or somebody else to rely upon, they're never going to grow up. Hear me? They're never going to grow up. And we've got people in the world today as been said they need to grow up. They need to learn what life is all about. They need to learn how to work. They need self-sufficiency in their life because you're not going to be here always. And who's going to take care of them after you're gone? See, sometimes we haven't taught them anything, only dependency upon us. And it's too much for us. Hard on us, saints. It's simply a warning from Luke that it's hard on us. And then it goes on to say drunkenness, whether that's wine or pleasure. We're living in a pleasure-mad world. I mean, they get drunk on pleasure as much as they get drunk on wine and whiskey and beer. I mean, when you talk to individual, it's pleasure mad. Even Christians sometimes, uh, you can't talk to them without getting in a conversation of football or basketball. And There's nothing wrong with these things, but it should not take preeminence over the Word of God and the house of God at any time. And Luke is trying to reach us centuries back with a challenge of a Christian life. As where are we going to stand when Jesus comes? And he's simply trying to tell us you can't live uh, with an overcharged budget. Something that is making demands on you greater than any resource you've got. Right. We've got to understand what we can handle. And then he comes to what we have dealt with so often in cares of this life. Yes. Cares of this life. There's some things in this life we can't escape. There are certain things that has to be taken care of. We're a dad or a mom, whatever, it's up to us to take care of our fledglings. It's up to us to try to supply those that are in our own household until they get old enough to try to do it themselves. And there are certain obligations that come along with that that we can't escape. A lot of us are leaving the obligation to Uncle Sam or to somebody else, but it's still our obligation. There wouldn't be as much welfare and all this stuff going on if humanity realized they had an obligation. 
to do what God wants them to do, and God would take care of that. Now there's some examples again on some material things. St. Luke 18:20, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and simply asked uh, what he must do to inherit eternal life. He wanted to live as bad as you do. And of course you know what Jesus said on and on. He went this and that and something else. And finally he said, I've done all of these things. And then Jesus said, one thing thou lackest, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. In other words... Total commitment's what I want out of you. I don't want you to put your confidence in the treasures you've got. It simply didn't mean that you're supposed to sell your house and all of that. Uh, and all of that. It simply means I want total commitment out of you. Jesus was trying his sincerity of obtaining eternal life. He's still doing that, saints. He's still doing that to you and I. He's trying to ascertain how much do we want eternal life. And if we wanted enough to sell out to him... If we wanted enough to give Him our, our, our prayer life and to give Him uh, time for witnessing, do we want it enough to make Him first and foremost in our life? That's the only way we're going to get eternal life. Things are going to get rough, saints. They're rough now. But they're going to get worse. And the demands are going to be made. And we're going to be overcharged with these things. Sometimes when we do that, and you've got to understand... As you go, so do other people. There's people that got eyes on you, every one of us, and they're watching your spiritual life. If your spiritual life doesn't mean much to you, it's not going to mean much to somebody out there that's watching you. Alright, if your church doesn't mean much to you, it's not going to mean much to somebody out there that's watching you. If your prayer life doesn't mean much to you, you're not going to introduce a prayer life to anybody else that's out there. If material things is your goal, you're going to show individuals out there that that's your goal, that will be their goal. There's individuals I can't influence because I never come in contact with them. But you can. But how do we influence them? The rich young ruler was demanded of this. I don't know what God asked you to do. I know what He asked me to do. I know sometimes it's not easy. It's not easy to just say, yes, Lord, I argue with Him a lot. Always lose, but I still argue with him a lot anyway. And a lot of you argue with him and just go right ahead and do what you wanted to do in the first place. But you see, Jesus cares enough about us. And he told this rich young ruler, you have, in actuality, you have relied on your riches. Now if I take them away from you, can you rely on me? And see, sometimes God takes things that have feathered our nest a little bit, that we have leaned upon... And takes them away from us, not because he's sadistic, because he wants to see how much we can rely on him. Sometimes a person's got a good job, they don't have it anymore. How much do we rely on Jesus? Sometimes we have good health, and uh, then these things come along. Uh, it's easy to thank, uh, to, play, play, uh, to thank God for healing when we don't need it. Amen? It's easy to thank God for this, that, and something else. But let these things be taken from us, and sometimes they are, just to see our reliance upon God. Can we trust Him in the dark times? Can we trust Him in times of pain and agony? Or do we turn again to the beggarly elements of the world and let them supply our needs? Amen, Brother Hoskloff? You see, Luke is talking to us, God is talking to us, God is letting us know that this is not a plaything and this is not a playhouse. There's lives at stake. Amen. Your life is at stake. Lives of other individuals. 
that you witness to, maybe in your own household, their lives is at stake as to how you maintain your spiritual life. What is first of all in your heart? He was overcharged with the riches of that day. When you read St. Luke 17, and I won't have time to read that, it talks about the days of Noah and the days of Lot, and it simply says, as it was in the days of Noah, also Lot, uh, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now, what it actually says is, in the days of Noah, they eat and they drank, they made wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built it. And there's nothing wrong with that, except they did not retain God in their knowledge. They were so busy planning their everyday life and their future, that they forgot that their future depended on God. Not upon their abilities, but upon God. And there's a lot of us that don't understand that our future depends on God. Your future life depends on God. And it says you can be overcharged with these things. You see, overcharged with everyday cares of life. Robbed them of their spiritual senses. So that they couldn't discern the important things in life. And sometimes it can get so overcrowded and overcharged with material things that you miss out on the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you get so overcharged with these things. They flood in and they dominate your mind and they dominate your life and they rule your life. And the things that we ought to be concerned about. How many times has material things come upon us and robbed us of our daily prayer life? Of the times when we need with Bible study. Now what Luke is saying here is get out of that. Understand that God is the most important thing in your life. And give yourself to God. He'll handle the problems for you. And He'll handle your job for you. Come on. Amen. Might be good sometimes we just trust Him. Just believe Him. I've been put in places where I've had to trust Him. Some of you have too. I'll probably be there again. Time and time and time again. Where I've simply... God has eliminated everything else from me. And just simply asked me the question, Now can you trust me? Your own hands can't do it. Your own feet can't take you to it. Your own intellect can't resolve the problem. Now then, can you trust me? St. Luke 10 and 38, when Martha was stirring about with so much uh, serving and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she become disturbed and Jesus let her know that the most important thing in anything when he was around was just sitting at his feet and listening to him. Dinner would take care of itself if he needed it. He wasn't concerned about it. All he knew was Mary was sitting at his feet listening to what he had to say. Martha was missing out on that and she was cumbered about. What does that mean? Overcharged with the cares of this life, with fixing dinner or whatever it was, which seemed to be so necessary. And there's a lot of things that seem to be so necessary that is not. Overcharged with these areas. Things need to be done, saints, but we don't need to allow them to go beyond our resources to cope with them. And then the scripture came to me and I thought, Lord, I really don't know how to apply this. 
So it took some time and study and understanding. And maybe it was easy for you, but I'm pretty hard-headed and it wasn't easy for me. And the Lord provided me a scripture that said He provides us with what to do in times like this. In times when the world crowds in, in times when uh, we're, we're simply being overcharged, our hearts, which is our minds, our whole being, our, our, our intellect, our emotions, is simply being overcharged. It's just coming in so hard and so fast. And of course we're not dealing for the most part uh, with uh, surfeiting and with drunkenness other than it might be spiritual. But we are dealing with cares of this life. And it says you take heed to yourself. You don't be overcharged with that so that the day comes and you're not aware of the day that's coming. See, there's the danger. Jesus is coming. Maybe you won't live till morning. The part of it is, have you been overcharged with cares? Have they bothered you? Have you allowed them to creep into your life until it simply robs you of the senses of who you're actually serving? Sometimes we just get so frustrated, I do, get so frustrated that it takes the peace away from me. Amen? Takes the calmness away from me. And sometimes I stand before God as complete nervous wreck. Simply because this thing has moved in on me and it has, it has overcharged me, it has stressed me beyond the resources that I have to cope with that and it does the same thing to you. And the first thing you know, I'm not even aware of the surroundings around me, of the happenings around me, of the signs of time around me, or the prayer life that I need to have. That's overcharged. That's beyond our ability. But Peter comes up with a word that simply says, Casting on your care upon him... For He careth for you. In other words, when we come to that place, and we will, we're going to have to learn how to give it to Jesus. We get so far gone that we can't solve the problem. Have problems at work, you can't do anything about it. Voice your opinion, it doesn't matter. Or in everyday living, there's something you can't do anything about. And you stand there in utter hopelessness wondering how in the world am I going to cope with this and you become overcharged with this. But Peter comes along with a word from the Lord and says, now you just throw those things on Jesus. I mean, it's more than you can handle. You can't handle it. If you try to, it's going to rob you of your spiritual insight and spiritual sensitivity. And you can't handle it. And Peter says, now, when those things come, overcharged with these things, cares of this life, and all of these things, now you have a recourse. You have somebody that you can go to. You have somebody that's going to take up the load for you. You've got somebody that's going to stand between you and those things and fight the battle for you that you can't fight yourself. And if we can do this, when we're overcharged every day with material things and learn how to trust the Lord. I think that's the bottom line. Right. I think that's what uh, Peter is trying to say and that's what Luke is trying to say is that we're going to have to learn sometime 
and the message this morning was on growth, we're going to have to learn sometime how to trust God. Amen? Amen? I thought how, how ironic it is that when a babe is trying to walk and you place it out there, enough to try to take some steps towards you and it knows that it's going to fall you're going to catch it. Childlike faith. And I thought how the devil robs us of that when we're beginning to mature. And that keeps us babes. That keeps us from growing when we ought to still trust God. Now not only does this work and this is where I got my lesson, and maybe it doesn't mean anything to you. But not only does this work in material things and material cares, but it works on spiritual cares also. Yeah. 11.28 of Second Corinthians, Paul speaks of such things as being beaten with rods, that's a care. Or being stoned, that was one of his cares. Or being whipped above measure or striped above measure. In prisons often shipwrecked, and in weakness and hungry and thirsty. And all of those, and Paul endured those because he was able to cast all of those upon Jesus. How there's not a man in the world, however strong he is, that's able to bear all of these things that's happening to him if he doesn't trust God. And those are are major things compared to what we have to undergo. We have not suffered unto blood as yet. And yet the Apostle Paul learned that he trusted God being beaten with rods didn't mean anything. It could have destroyed him. Being stoned could have destroyed his faith in God. Why would God allow me to be whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and in weakness? Why would he allow me to be hungry? Why would he allow me to be thirsty? Why would God allow me this thing to happen to me? And he could have been overcharged with these things and lost his faith and touched with God. But he cast those cares upon God. In other words, if God was responsible for that, if God was allowing that, God was able to see him through that, and he did. But there's something else that gripped me that meant a lot to me. And he says in verse 28, besides these things, these material things, the care of all the churches. Now he talks about spiritual care. He talks about something that I can identify with. I can't identify with these others uh, in their essence. I can't identify with, uh, with uh, uh, being robbed of my good name in areas. I can't identify with people trying to destroy me. I can't identify in areas like that. I can't identify as being spiritually crucified. But never in these areas I can't identify. But I can identify with the care of the churches. Now... The Apostle Paul had to learn also that he had to rely upon God in those areas. Now, in reading those scriptures, my first, the ones that I just read to you in material things, my first reaction was that I'm not concerned with drunkenness. 
I'm not overcharged with that. There might have been a time, but I'm not now. I'm not worried about it. It doesn't bother me. I don't want it. I don't desire it. I don't desire worldly pleasure. There's things out here that go on every day that I'm not concerned about. And there's things possibly you can do. But I'm not concerned about poor star day and dear day and all these things. It doesn't bother me. I'm not concerned about uh, those things. I'm not saying they're bad, but my concern and my, my cares is not there. My concern goes farther than that. And uh, I don't desire worldly pleasures. I've got a roof over my head. Not a five room or five bedroom mansion, but it's a roof over my head and I keep warm. Amen. I'd like to have more room in my house, but I can't afford it. So why would I go out and try to get in debt when I've got a roof over my head? Uh, when I've got uh, no clothes on my back, not the best in the world, not uh, $500 suits, but who knows the difference? What I care. You know, what, what they think, as long as I'm dressed the best I know how. And I don't have any debts I can't pay. I have debts, but I can pay them. Amen. I don't go beyond those things. I could get overcharged with that. I've got a lot of credit cards. I could very easily get overcharged with all of these things and say, I'd like to have this. I'd like to have that. I've got a credit card. Don't have to pay for it right now. And the first thing you know, I could be in debt $10,000 like some are. And they won't be able to pay that for 25 years. They can't even hardly pay the interest. Amen. Some of us don't have credit cards, but we've got real good credit and we'll stretch it to the limit. Even beyond the limit. God help us. Luke and Paul and uh, Peter's talking to us. I've got an automobile that gets me where I want to go. And yet with all these things and dealing with God and looking at the cares of this life, I was keenly aware that something was amiss in my spiritual life. There was something that I was missing in my spiritual life. There was areas that I wasn't coping with. Things that happening uh, in my life and in churches uh, that we seem to be uh, responsible for not because of our intellect but because of our calling of individuals that call almost continually from places as far away as Mississippi and Texas and on you go telephone calls about concerned individuals with cares that are spiritual and sometimes you go with a few hours with that and uh, you know that they're concerned and you know that there's a need and sometimes it just gets to the place where I say, God, I can't handle that. I've got all I can do at community chapel. And then come into community chapel and uh, watch us sometimes in our lethargy and unconcernment and, and just come in however we get ready and whenever we get ready. And I get overcharged for these spiritual cares. It's beyond my resources to handle these things. It's beyond my abilities when I go to different places with problems to handle these things unless I can be well assured that God is there and that you are praying for me to give me wisdom to be able to do it. Yeah. Instead of try, trying to deny me the access of doing it. It is not my choice and it's not what I want. It's my calling and I can't help it. Amen. 
You ought to be glad. You ought not to buck up against it. You ought to be just as fervent uh, or even more so when I'm gone because you know I'm there. You know I need prayer. Sometimes we just need something to pray for. Amen? I'm not saying you didn't pray for us. I'm saying the devil didn't like us and so he worked on us a little bit. But what he really did was cause us to recognize uh, that we have turned to God. But we just can't handle these things. You see... Once I read that, I read Paul's words, the care of the churches, the care and concern for those that are sick. I don't know if most of you know what it's like to see and know somebody in your congregation, the places you go, and these individuals are suffering. And you don't seem to be able to touch heaven and to touch God. You don't seem to be able to alleviate their pain. Now, I can't just shrug it off. It's not in me to say, I prayed a little prayer and I'll get better and do your thing. It's not in me. And it ought not to be in you. It simply simply says we should suffer with another. If one suffers, everybody ought to suffer with them. We ought to feel keenly the agony and pain that individuals are undergoing in their natural body or in their spiritual life. Sinners, You watch individuals as they make their way in this world and calamity is all around them. And life is so uncertain for them and they are so miserable and yet you can't reach them with God. That's a care. I'm talking about me. I don't know about you. I don't know how you make it. I'm simply saying this is what God talk to me about it. I'm sure he must want to talk to you about it or he just let me keep it to myself. And uh, my family, my church family, it bothers me when I see individuals come in sometimes with a pooch mouth, come in with a chip on their shoulder and dare you to knock it off. Those things don't happen in community chapel, do they? Oh, yes, they do. I watch you come in and I know better than talk to you. I even know better to shake your hand. Because I don't want anything leveled. So I make a wide berth. I already had all I can handle anyway. And I make a wide berth. I don't want to be around you. Because I don't want to be the cause of you flying off the handle and saying something God will judge you for. Amen. And those are cares. I care about you when you're in a state like that. I really am concerned about you. Whether you believe it or not. That's a spiritual care of my life. And any pastor worth his salt or any minister worth his salt would understand that, would care just that way. It bothers me when people come and when they leave and I don't know what's happening. I can't just throw it off and say, well, if they wanted to be here, they would. Well, that's true. But that's the care, a spiritual care of my life. It bothers me when I watch a contention on certain little issues that don't amount to hill of beans, little foxes spoiling the vine. It bothers me. It troubles me. It's beyond my ability and my resources to handle that. And sometimes I go home sometimes and, and I'm just a nervous wreck. I mean, and sometimes I, I listen over the telephone and I think, my job... Has my prayers been in vain? What's the matter? What's happening? Why can't something happen, God? And I'm overcharged. 
I have to realize, and, and God talked to me about that. It's individual things making into demands, not undue demands. They ought to be, but on my resources. On my own abilities, I do not have the ability to handle that. But again, Peter's word says, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. It's beyond my resources to change any life. I hear moms and dads and friends making requests for their sons and their daughters and their lives to be changed and, uh, and you pray and you preach. Some of them are here and they walk out and never touch. I keep going. I go home sometimes and I wonder where did I miss it? What could I have said that I didn't say? How did I say it? Maybe I said it wrong, God. Uh, why is it that the Word doesn't touch their spirit anymore? And if I stood there, and I have, and I'm making confession, if I stood there, and it's beyond my abilities to do anything about it, if God didn't come and take charge, if I don't learn, and if you don't learn to put those things upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ, for He cares for us. He does not want us overcharged with these things. He don't want us unmindful of them. But He wants us to be aware that in our natural state, with our natural abilities, we cannot handle them. I am not of the makeup to handle the office that God has placed me in. I am not, uh, I am not in any way qualified as far as my natural life is concerned to be able to handle what God has asked me to handle. I can't handle being a minister because I'm not as outward as I ought to be. I have a nervous type of, uh, of something inside that pins me up inside. And, and uh, I wonder all the time when I go to preach someplace, uh, am I going to make a mess out of it? And all these things inside of me, I don't have the makeup to handle a situation God places me in. And if I don't pass my cares on Him, I'm going to be overcharged with these things. And I cannot do the job the way it ought to be done. If I get scared and fearful, I can't pray. Amen? If I get to trusting in my own self and think I have to say things the way I ought to say, I spend all my time trying to write down something I ought to say, and it takes my time of prayer. And Jesus is letting us know and letting me know, I think He's letting you know, that you can't change any life. You walk too desperately. You only see, and you've got, you've got kids out there, some of you have, that you, and you've got loved ones, that you'd love to see their lives change. And sometimes in your prayers, you, you get so uh, vehement about it, and so into it sometimes, and then you think something's going to happen, it doesn't. Then you're shattered, your faith is gone, and you stand there wondering what happened. Well, you can't do anything about it. You're supposed to pray about it, 
but you're supposed to put that care in God's hands. As long as He knows you're praying, it's up to Him to change lives. You can't change them. You can't bring anybody to God. You do not have the ability to bring anybody to God. You need to witness to them. You need to live your life the way it ought to be. But in spite of all of that, the best you can do, you cannot bring them to God. The Spirit of God has to draw them. Amen. And it's your prayer life that keeps there, and you're putting all of those cares upon God. It is those things that's going to do the job. But you can get yourself in such a state. And God doesn't do what you think He ought to do. And you can get so wrapped up in these spiritual cares concerning your children and your spouses and your friends and your loved ones until your prayer life is gone. You don't know how to pray. You don't know when to pray. You don't even if to pray. And then comes a time when Peter says, you can't ever do it. Cast your cares upon Him. You have spiritual cares. You, have, you don't have to be natural or material. And I think that's where a lot of us miss the boat when we look at that and say, well, I've pretty well done all of those. And yet sometimes we're so tied up in knots because we haven't been able to give these spiritual things over to God. We feel like that maybe we're such a super saint that we ought to be able to handle it. And I'll tell you one thing that really, really gets me. Uh, I can't cause anybody to be faithful to God. I can preach the Word of God to them. I can show them and show again to other ministers how to be faithful in their giving and how to be faithful in their time and how to be faithful in their Bible study and how to be faithful uh, in their witnessing, but I cannot make them be faithful. That's a care. That's a care. I mean, I care about these things. It's not that I care about your finances. You're the one that suffers from that. God will take care of the church and He'll take care of me and He'll take care of all these things. And time is wasted. That ought to be God's. And I see that and I know that. And that's the spiritual care. I care about these things because I care about people and care about the saints and I care especially about community chapel. And I think every minister that ministers here cares about it. That's some spiritual cares that we have. I can't open individuals' eyes uh, to spiritual conditions. I can preach. God can tell me the problem. And very few problems come in the congregation in your life by what I'm not aware of. I ought to be aware of that. God makes me aware of that. But I can't change and I can't open your eyes. If the Word of God can't penetrate that, I can't change your spiritual condition. But that's care. I can get overcharged with that. I can get worried about that. I can fret about that. And it can rob me of my time with God. Can rob me of my study. Can rob me of my spiritual sensitivity with God. Unless I cast my cares upon Him. I cannot challenge individuals as to their rebellious nature. 
I cannot do that. I can only know sometimes when we're in that state. I can only sense that and know it. I can only pray about it if perchance then maybe God might give me a message that might challenge you, open your eyes, but I can't do it. In other words, that's something that I have got to place in the hands of God and cast that care upon Him. I've got to be concerned, but not overcharged. Right. Some of you, some of you have prayed a long, long time for a loved one. You've got beside yourself. You're wondering exactly what's happened, and that's the spiritual care. Don't let it destroy you. Cast that care upon the Lord. When I went to God, my prayer was this, Lord, these cares that I just read here about surfeiting and drunkenness, all of these other cares that we mentioned, those are not my cares. Those things that I can truthfully say that I named over, those things don't bother me. They're just not something that bothers me. Maybe they do do, but I'm just saying, those are not my cares. But Lord, these are my cares. And then I begin in my prayer to talk to God about the cares of the ministry, about the cares of other churches, but most especially about the cares of this church, about things that's happened in it, about sometimes our lethargy and our unconcernment and, and about our abilities to pick and choose what we want and throw out what we don't want. About our inabilities to be faithful to God. And I said, God, these are my cares. This is what concerns me. This is what makes my life miserable. God, you're going to have to handle these. I can't do it. It's beyond my resources. Do it. I can't change my family's way of living. I can't do it. I can give them good sound advice. I can find my place in God. The Bible tells us to bring up a child in a way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I've had moms and dads say, well, I brought them up in church, and yet here they are here and there and someplace else. Yeah, that's fine, but you do raise them in the way they should go. What did you introduce them to? What type of Bible study did you have in your home? What type of atmosphere was in your home? How did you present God to them? On again, off again, in and out? See, when we do this, we haven't raised them in the way they should go. And we have no reason to get a hold of that Scripture and try to put God's feet to the fire. We have no right to do that. Because if we raise them the way they should go, if we touch their palate, that's what it means, touching the palate. And mothers, uh, mothers used to chew their food up and then put it in the baby's mouth so that they could eat it and swallow it. And sometimes when they wouldn't, they'd put their finger up there and touch the powder of their mouth so they would swallow it. Our children sometimes, some of us, they have been robbed 
and, and teaching them the way they should go. And some of us, God help us, we can repent over it, God will, God will help us. But some of us are going to have to answer to that. We've lived haphazard lives, that's what the child saw. That's the type of life they're going to live. You haven't introduced them to God in their early childhood, uh, then they're not going to recognize God. If you don't touch them while they're young, they're going to be hard to touch when they get old. You know that. They will not depart from it. In other words, let's look at it like this. When I was being raised up as a child, my parents didn't just take me to church. I knew I was going. There never was any question that I wasn't going. I never even brought the subject up. Because I knew that when church time come, I was going. But that's not all they done. They didn't just drag me off to church. They taught me at home the way that I should go. They taught me my responsibilities as a child, my responsibilities as an, as an adult. They sat down and explained to me what type of life I ought to live and the way I ought to live it and introduced me to salvation the gospel way and the Bible way and it never did get away from me. I've got children that I did the same way. I've got children that go to Baptist church. But never has that church been able to influence the way they was brought up. Some of you have got children going to Trinity churches. But never at any time, regardless of what they say or do, can they be moved from the way that they were taught. This is what he's talking about. Teach them in the way they should go. And when they're old or get out on their own or wherever they go, they'll not depart from it. I've got a daughter that's been in and out of church and been in and out of problems and her life has been a mess. And never could the teachings of mom and dad ever escape her. And they haven't yet today. That's touching the palate and teaching an individual that you are responsible for the ways of the world. I could not change my family's way of life. I can't do it. I pray for them. But I know one thing. I have established them in the doctrinal truth. And every time I talk to them, they are aware of what they've been brought up on. It's down in here. And whatever church and whatever they work in, and however their doctrine is, they've got it in here. They're not going to depart from it. My prayer, Lord, these are my cares. People are sick. Sinners. Wayward Christians. Rebellious filled with lethargy, unconcerned, in and out. That's what I care about. That's what puts me on my knees. And that's what I hope. And ever since 
God has told me this. I've been able to handle a few things a lot better. To know that you preach the best you can. You do the best you can. And God will take you in the rest of it. I'll never, never be able to fill every pew in this church. But God can. I'll never be able to cause the sick to be healed. But God can. I'll never be able to touch a life that is in contrast with God. All I can do is preach the truth and preach the gospel. If God cannot put that inside of a heart, I can't do that. So what I do, I reconcile myself to the fact that I'm not a super saint. I'm not a super preacher. I'm just a person that has answered the call of God. And God has placed me in an office that I felt like I should never be. But he put me there. And all I can do is fulfill what God has placed in my life. Now then, in closing, there's not one single individual here but what you have an office of some type, some place. And you are just as responsible for filling that as I am fulfilling mine. You feel good about running off and leaving your office? That's fine. You have to deal with God on that. But you have no more right to do that than I have. God placed you in this body. He needs for you to fill your place. And we need to understand that, saints. I'm not trying to be harsh with you. But we cannot walk in perfection. We cannot grow into maturity until... The whole body comes together. One joint supplying the need of the other. Then we can start to walk. And things that we desire and pray about can start to happen. And then God can handle the cares of this life. I want us to stand.